So will the Nord Stream gas pipeline open again when it closes at the end of the month for supposedly repair work? Uh, the question mark over that is certainly seeing European gas prices pushing even higher and rising fuel has prompted one bank to predict a UK inflation rate of 18.6% early next year. All of this is adding to the notion that we are in a world of worry and the ECB, the Fed and other central banks are going to have to be even more determined to raise rates to stop it all getting out of control, pushing bond yields up sharply and equities down this morning. It's Tuesday, the 23rd of August, 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, the US dollar is pushing ever higher, up another 0.7% this morning on the DXY, pushing it up above 109 overnight. It got marginally higher than that in July. But if it gets above that, I think I'm right in saying that that's going to be the highest it's been since 1986, although it is starting to fall a little now. The euro and the pound are the big losers, though. The euro is down 0.9%. The pound is down half percent. The Aussie holding up fairly well, down less than 0.1%, hanging in around uh, 68.8 US cents. The yen has fallen another third of 1%. Bond yields are pushing even higher. 10-year treasuries up six basis points, a few points back over 3% now. Two-year yields are up 11 basis points at 3.34%, the highest since the middle of June. Australian 10-year yields rising up 11 basis points yesterday to 3.51%, up another nine basis points on futures since then, up to 3.6%. UK 10-year gilts are up 10 basis points, over 2.5% now. Three years are up almost 12 basis points. And US equities, well well down. The Nasdaq has lost 2.6% at close, 1.9% down for the Dow, 2.1% off the S&P 500. The DAX is down 2.3%. The CAC Caron losing 1.4%. The Eurostox 50 off 1.9%. The FTSE 100 has got off relatively lightly. It's down just 0.2%. But to give some perspective to all of this, the Nasdaq is still 30% higher than it was just before the pandemic struck. But it does look like the latest rally is well and truly over. And oil falling lower. WTI down 0.6%. A small fall in Brent, uh, still around 96.70 a barrel. Dutch gas futures touched 295 euros. That is up more than 25% in the last five days. And the average fr- price for the five prior September contracts was just over 20 euros. So we're almost 15 times higher. So maybe that is the nub of the issue that we're facing today. Tapper Strickland is with me from NAB in Sydney. I mean, no wonder the US dollar is so strong uh, every day now. It seems to showcase just, you know, what a bad way Europe is in and the UK as well. And it's just not getting any better. Good morning, Phil. The energy situation in the UK and in the Eurozone looks pretty dire and you'd have to say was probably the main driver of the price action that we did see overnight. The other driver as well, just worth mentioning, is that the hawkish signals still continue to come from the ECB. So I think it's a bit of a reassessment by the market exactly on where rates could go if you do get a slowdown or downturn. And also in terms of the persistency of inflation, there was one report from one bank in the UK suggesting that with uh, the energy price hikes that are likely to come, uh, UK inflation could peak at 18.6% in early next year. And Mm. uh, what's important about that is that's way higher than what the Bank of England was thinking rates would peak, uh, sorry, that inflation would peak at. I think they were thinking of a peak of around around 13%. So much higher than where the Bank of England was just thinking about it just a couple of weeks ago. So that has really set the um, horses going in terms of yield. So yield, yields are higher and risk assets are selling off on the and back of that. And that's all ahead of Jackson Hole. Once you get to that level, and we'll talk about Jackson Hole in a second, but once you get to that level, it is very difficult to slow it down, isn't it? Because, uh, I mean, we're already seeing lots of strike action in the UK in almost every sector. 
uh, and with people getting pushed on on energy prices as well, of course everybody is going to want to say, well, aren't you know we don't want to go backwards because we've got fuel bills to pay. Uh, th- there's going to be even more strike action and more push for for for, for wages, and you know, so it could spiral even more out of control. Uh, indeed, and the key uh, watch points for the UK uh, on Friday, the energy regulator Ofgem is um, looking at the energy cap, and while expected to increase. Uh, quite a lot there um, and then the other one is really what will the new UK PM I think the leadership contest finishes up on the 5th of September um, yeah. will they come out with a cost of living adjustment and could that actually pair back some of that um, rise in inflation that that one bank was, was expecting but if it does get embedded into inflation expectations as you're saying strikes are quite rampant in the UK then that would signal that uh, rates would have to go considerably higher and that same bank uh, would suggest that a benchmark lending rate of around six to seven percent would be necessary to get inflation under control if inflation expectations moved up to be more consistent where in, where inflation is expected to peak at and similarly you know we're hearing the same thing aren't we there's one ecb policy policy saying overnight you know recession or not uh, the ECB is going to keep lifting rates. Uh, yes, and I think that that was actually quite an important signal for markets, which had been quite bullish in terms of risk, uh, in terms of some notion of central banks pivoting um, because of growth risks and maybe of some signs of inflation turning. Um, the energy story coming out of the Europe suggests the peak of inflation is not here yet, or at least in Europe. And then those comments by the ECB's uh, Nagel um, saying that the ECB must continue hiking even as recession risks grow in Germany um, suggests that central banks are going to continue to hike even in the face of recession risk. So when you actually look at Fed funds pricing now, um, the uh, market's now pricing a 66% chance of a 75 basis point hike in September, and that was only about 50% chance uh, when markets closed on Friday. Um, they're expecting the Fed funds right now to peak at 3.78% in March 2023 and uh, uh, have reduced the amount of rate cuts they're pricing in for 23 to 35 basis points. So markets are basically uh, lifted the peak in the Fed funds rate over the past couple of days, and they've also unwound some of the pricing for cuts uh, in, in in 23. So it's no surprise in that context mm. to see two year yields up um, by around 11 basis points to that 3.34 percent, and uh, to see 10 year yields up by about 5.5 basis points to around 3.03 percent. We're going to hear more of this, aren't we? The closer we get to Jackson Hole. So we had Larry Summers basically saying that you know right now the policy isn't restrictive yet, and it needs to be. Yes, and that contrasts a little bit to what uh, Chair Powell said uh, post the July FOMC when he was saying that policy was around neutral and he received a lot of pushback by a number of commentators and Larry Summers obviously being one of them. And there does seem to be a little bit of a split within the FOMC whether the Fed is actually at uh, is actually neutral or not. So I guess Larry Summers in, is in that camp that the Fed needs to keep hiking and uh, get into restricted territory in order to put uh, dampening pressure on inflation there. If that signal were to come across, then that would be quite a big change in sentiment from Chair Powell. All of these countries pushing up interest rates so much more uh, when they are so highly leveraged in the housing market, it's—I mean—it it could be like a house of cards, couldn't it, for the for the housing market? Well, you're already starting to see signs of the housing market rolling over in a number of different countries, including in the U.S. and in Australia. Particularly in Australia, at least, it's more coming on the prices side, and in the U.S., it seems to be coming on the activity side for now. But with high mm. rates, um, then you'd expect asset values to come under pressure there. And uh, with tighter financial conditions, you'd expect um, activity to fall within the housing sector as well. Um, in terms of whether that presents a bigger risk to the economy, uh, I think a lot of people were looking after that uh, GFC period, um, requiring larger buffers uh, in terms of lending rates there. So um, 
not sure whether uh, the high rates would actually lead to um, a bigger financial risk uh, from or oh, stemming from the housing market, but I would mm. suggest that the spillovers to consumption would be quite high in, in yeah, the exactly because you're paying so much more on your mortgage. Absolutely. So look, the the, the pound, the euro, the yen also struggling as well. The, the Aussie dollar and the Kiwi dollar holding up fairly well. I guess that's because, you know, to, we are protected to some extent uh, by those fuel costs, obviously nowhere near as bad as the situation in Europe. But then if we look at uh, Aussie bond yields, rising quite a bit. So is that just just in response to the Fed? Uh, yes, you'd have to say some of that movement that's occurring in the Aussie curve is coming from what's going on in the US. And when you look at the Australian data over uh, this week, there's absolutely no data f- yeah. coming from Australia. So most of the moves are coming uh, from what's happening in, in the US. So the bright spot is the oil prices are falling. Um, so, uh, I mean, I think some of that is dri- driven by the fact that there's a, there's a, we're hoping now that there's going to be a deal struck with Iran to lift sanctions so that they can uh, supply oil to the West, reportedly 50 million barrels a, d- a day within four months of signing the deal. But then on the other side, we've got Saudi Arabia saying that they don't like this falling price. And uh, when OPEC meets next month, they're going to tighten production. Uh, so, you know, it's a, it's a no-win situation for those wanting cheaper oil. It seems like if we're going to get more pumped in, they're just going to s- stop pumping elsewhere. And I think that's quite important for those people who are looking at the oil price, which has rolled over since its peak of March of this year, uh, in providing a bit of a disinflationary impulse into global inflation and at least the mm. Saudis um, seem to suggest they have a fairly high bar in terms of how low they want to see that oil price and uh, WTI I think fell below $87 a barrel at one point overnight and around that point was when that oil minister came out and said that extreme volatility and lack of liquidity in the futures market are disconnecting prices from fundamentals and OPEC would act um, so it does suggest that kind of $90 a barrel is a bit of a watch point in terms of um, uh, in terms of OPEC and moves below 90 um, may prompt OPEC action. Right. Which, of, of course, you know, could prompt uh, further recession, which, um, you know, isn't going to be good for OPEC. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure they're looking at that, but they've got to get the balance right, haven't they? Uh, in China, meanwhile, talking about getting the balance right, the PBOC uh, did carry through with their cuts to the uh, one and five year loan prime rate, actually a 15 basis cut to the five year rate. So they were really targeting getting mortgages moving, weren't they? But I mean, is that going to do any good, given the problem they've got with, uh, with, with COVID numbers in China and their zero COVID case uh, policy? They had 1,824 new COVID cases for Sunday, for example, which is the highest level they've had for around three months. So, so long as that is going on and they've got this policy... Uh, it really doesn't matter what the PBOC does, does it? it? It does seem like not much of the stimulus that has been seen is gaining much traction in China because of China's zero COVID policy. It's just very hard to plan. And also the impacts on the household sector, which hasn't really received too much in the way of stimulus um, from the Chinese government. And the Chinese officials still remain relatively cautious in doing that kind of wide scale stimulus that we did see back in 2015 and after the global financial crisis. So um, until China starts to pivot away from zero COVID policy, it's very hard to see these kind of stimulus measures having a meaningful impact on the economy. And one notion of how weak um, activity may be becoming in Asia, uh, we we got Korean trade data for the first 20 days in August, and that just noted that exports fell 4.3% month-on-month, seasonally adjusted. Um, so it does suggest at least uh, in a kind of August month that activity was, was slowing 
quite a bit in terms of trade. Um, and because Korea is or has a large share of the chip manufacturing industry, it also would suggest that demand for chips is also starting to fall as well. Yeah. Now, I know it's not the same for everyone. It can work with COVID. You know, because I am doing it. I've been doing it for five days. So uh, I've still got it. It's still tested positive every morning, uh, much to my dissatisfaction. I've got to have my midday naps, but that might just be old age. Uh, Look, it's uh, PMI's day today. We get the Purchasing Managers Index. Uh, How are they uh, shaping up? We get the flash numbers for August for France, Germany, the Euro area, the UK, the US. I mean, there's a lot to take in today, isn't it? And I think in almost every case for services and manufacturing, the expectation is those numbers are going to fall. The interesting thing is going to be, how is the UK holding up? Because their services PMI last time was 52.6. The manufacturing was 52.1, both in expansionary territory, whereas in other parts of Europe, like German manufacturing and services, for example, below 50. So they were retracting. So it's going to be interesting to see whether the UK is managing to hold that position this time. Uh, it will be interesting. It's hard to see how the UK will be able to withstand the kind of headwinds that are coming from the um, (laughs) energy sector. Uh, The consensus, at least, uh, does see a fall in the composites of 51 from 52.1, so still within that kind of positive territory. But over the next couple of months, um, you'd expect the UK economy to further weaken. And indeed, the Bank of England is forecasting five quarters of recession in the UK. So within that context, you'd be expecting some weakness occurring in the PMIs. And obviously, most focus will be in Europe in terms of the PMIs, but also in the US. So the services PMI in the US last month actually fell into contraction territory at 47.3. And that contrasted pretty sharply to the services ISM, um, which was more positive at 56.7. So um, if that doesn't correct back up to mm. above 50, then that would suggest maybe there is a bit more weakness occurring in the services side of the US economy as well, even though the ISMs have printed relatively positively r- recently. Right. Does that then change? 47.3 is pretty low, isn't it? Does that, if, if that gets even even lower, for example, does that change this hawkish agenda leading up to Jackson Hole? It probably doesn't. The Wherever you look around the world, uh, the consumer is resilient, both in terms of spending. We got those uh, fairly good consumption numbers coming out of the UK on Friday. And then the labour markets haven't deteriorated uh, anywhere in the developed world. So that suggests that policy needs to be a lot tighter if you're going to put uh, dampening pressure on inflation. Okay. I wish it was a happier picture. But anyway, it is what it is. Good to talk, Tapas. We'll catch you again very soon. Thanks. Cheers. Uh, thanks, Phil. Cheers. That, uh, that figure from the UK, 18.6%. Imagine if inflation did reach that. How high would they have to take uh, interest rates to try and tackle that? And would it work? Would uh, monetary policy work that far? Uh, all of these questions are before us. That's it for the morning call for today. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. Back again tomorrow morning. Thanks for listening. <laughs>